listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen, and good to worship with y'all. You know, lasts are pretty significant, pretty important. I remember the last time that I saw my, my papa, my mom's dad. Um, it was Christmas time, and man, it, my papa had a profound impact on me. He was the man, I would say, who taught me to laugh a lot, to not take myself too serious. He was a brilliant man. He, he actually worked on a stealth bomber, but he, even in all his brilliance, he was, he was goofy. He was always cracking jokes. I would say I've learned from him and try to emulate um, flirting at my, with my wife, or at my wife, I guess same thing, <laughs> flirting with my wife at any age, no matter what, even uh, on his deathbed, he was still cracking jokes and kind of flirting with my Mimi, and uh, she still laughs about that today. He, he taught me what it means to be a man of my word, to be someone who, who pursues the Lord. Maybe most profoundly, he taught me how to dance like a fool, right? Like he, he's just, he's such a fun man. What's such a fun man? I mean, the, one of the last memories I have of him was like I said, it was Christmas time, and he was sitting in a recliner that kind of became his, honestly, kind of became his deathbed. And uh, the music pastor from my home church brought his family over, uh, and they gathered around, our family gathered around that chair he was sitting in and uh, sang worship songs, not worship songs, Christmas songs. And uh, after each song, my papa would just, would just clap and smile and just so much joy in that moment. I'll, I'll never forget that picture of him, lasts are meaningful. They're, they're significant. They, they stick with you. They, they carry a very heavy weight. Second Timothy, the book that we're starting, this new series, was actually the last letter that Paul wrote to his incredible friend and brother in the ministry, Timothy. Maybe you've heard of Timothy. He was someone that Paul loved dearly. Paul said to the Philippian church, he said, he said, I have no one like Timothy. He's a brother. He's a son who served with me in the gospel. There's no one like Timothy. Now, he's not saying there's no one as important as Timothy, but no one had done life with Paul like Timothy. They were incredibly close, like a father and like a son. And this is the last letter Paul writes to him. As Paul writes this, he's He's about 67 years old, somewhere in that range, and he's in a prison in Rome, we believe, for the second time. He's there in prison, and he's awaiting death. He knows it's coming. Timothy, who he's writing to, is somewhere around 37, 36, 38. I'm 37, so if like it strikes kind of a different chord or a special chord with me, um, Timothy being about that age. And Timothy was actually leading, helping lead the church in Ephesus, and, and Paul's writing to him, encouraging him and challenging him in the faith. Paul had taught Timothy what it meant to pursue Jesus. He had taught Timothy what it meant to, to pursue Jesus and live for him, even in the face of difficulty, and yes, even in the face of death, what it meant to pursue Jesus, to keep on walking with him, to keep on living for Jesus. I have no doubt they cried together. We know they cried together. I believe they laughed together. They were incredibly close friends and partners in the gospel. And if you're a believer, I'm going to trust and, and hope that you have people like that, that you've linked arm with, that you've linked arms with, that you've partnered with in the gospel. 
You may be asking, what is a, what is a question, or excuse me, a letter that's almost 2,000 years old, what does a letter like that have to do with us? Like, how, how, do, how does that relate to us in 2023? Let's not forget, yes, it's a letter, but this is God's word, amen? It is perfect, the perfect, inspired, holy word of God. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So as we read it, even though Paul was writing to Timothy, it was Holy Spirit inspired. It still speaks to us today. This letter will encourage you. It will challenge you. It's not just for Timothy. It is for you. So we want to lean into it. You know, so many, as we read, you're going to see so many commands throughout the book, throughout the letter, but also there are a ton of just biblical principles. So not necessarily commands, but truths to embrace. That as you embrace these biblical truths, they will change your life. And yes, action comes from that. But I believe particularly the first few verses we're going to study this morning, there's just so much truth to embrace. How about you guys? Uh, this week was, was kind of a weird week with the weather, right? Like the weather wasn't that bad, but it seemed like schedules got kind of crazy. And uh, especially if you've got, really for everybody, but especially if you've got kiddos and having to orchestrate schedules and late starts, it just got kind of crazy. I think it was yeah, Wednesday morning. Uh, we were already on a two-hour delay, our, our kiddos in their school. And so the kids were up and hanging out because they're like, two-hour delay, forget that. We're still going to get up at six and eat Fruity Pebbles, right? So um, they're out uh, hanging out, eating breakfast. And I got the call about 6.59 that uh, LISD was going to be canceled for the day. And so I went in and told our kids, hey, guys, School has been canceled today. And they both like let out these big squeals and they're like raising their fists in the air. Woohoo, so excited, lots of giggles, lots of laughter. Caroline Tate, our daughter, runs back to the bathroom to, uh, or like Lauren's getting ready for work, and uh, to go tell Lauren that my wife at school is canceled. And as she runs off, Haddon looks at me with those big blue eyes and says, Dad, what does canceled mean? <laughs> he was so excited, but I don't really know what we're excited about, right? Uh, he was just kind of moving fast, going with the punch, uh, rolling with the punches. I think so often we read scripture a little bit that way, that we just kind of assume we know what's being said and we just keep rolling. But what I want to do this morning is just, we're going to dig into verses one through seven, which often in a letter, you just would be easy to just kind of glaze over or glance over and really not pay much attention to. But there's some incredibly rich truths here for us to, to digest and wrestle with as we lean in, lean in this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's talking about uh, most likely when Timothy was ordained. Verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment, or some translations say, and self-control. What I wanna do is I wanna hang out in verse 
one for just a moment. Where he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ by God's will. What, what is an apostle? An apostle was someone who was directly taught and commissioned, sent out by Jesus. So uh, if you meet someone today who says, hello, I'm Apostle, Bra- apostle Brandon, like some, something's weird there. Like, no, an apostle is someone who was directly taught and sent out by Jesus. And you're like, well, Paul wasn't a disciple. Remember, Jesus showed up to Paul on the where? The road to Damascus. That's right. He, met, he, he got to meet Jesus face to face. So Paul was an apostle. It is by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So his apostleship is for, the purpose of it is the sake of the promise of life. So this is the promise that he himself is clinging to and it's the promise that he's proclaiming to others. This promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. So life is only found in Christ Jesus. John 14, six says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. Again, that's John 14, six. Just unpack a little bit more this idea of the promise of life. John 10, 10, Jesus said, Satan, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That was John 10, 10. Think of 1 John 2, 25. It says that, and this is the promise that he himself made to us. What's the promise? Eternal life, life forever with God. That was 1 John 2, 25. And then hopefully you know John 3, 16. There's probably 20 different translations, so we won't try to all say it together. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting, eternal life to be with God forever. That's the promise. That's the hope that Paul is clinging to himself and he's proclaiming to other people all over the world, even as he's in this prison cell in Rome. It's really fascinating to me. This is the only letter that Paul starts out this way, where he says, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Think about the context of this again. I would say it's different than the pastoral epistles, excuse me, the um, like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those epistles, when we think about Paul being in prison, this is different because Paul knows he's fixing to die. Like This is it. This is the last letter. And he's still clinging to this promise. Think about some of the things that Paul faced just as he was leading up to, to the writing of this. Just to remind you a little bit, here's a guy who was shipwrecked. Uh, by the way, all of these things for the sake of Jesus. All of these things for this for the sake of this promise that he's clinging to and that he's proclaiming to others. He was shipwrecked three times. He was adrift at sea, floating at sea, experienced dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, danger from Gentiles. When he was in the city, he experienced danger and possible kidnapping. When he was in the wilderness, he experienced danger, danger from false brothers, so people who said they were Christians but actually weren't believers and just wanted to hurt believers. He said he had many sleepless nights. He was often hungry and thirsty as he traveled about and had no food or water, or he was cold and exposed to the elements as he traveled about. He was maligned and slandered by believers who were jealous of his ministry. 
He had the pressure of leading all these churches that he had started all over that part of the world. He was pummeled with stones once. He was beaten with rods three different times. He was whipped with 39 lashes five times. He, he said he had the scars to prove it. So if someone ever doubted his commitment, he could just look at my scars. And now he's in prison for the cause of Christ. He's been abandoned by other believers who, who many of them are embarrassed of his imprisonment. And now he's fixing to be beheaded under the, the dictatorship of Nero, who wants to make an example out of Paul to other Christians. So he's fi literally fixing to lose his head for Christ. And yet he still says, miss for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Jesus is my greatest pleasure. He's my greatest purpose. I'm, I'm living for him to the end. What's, what's the truth? I think we need to glean from this. It's our first point is really simple. It's this. Jesus is worth it. Whatever it is, like fill in the blank, whatever it, whatever hardship, whatever difficulty it is, Paul would tell you Jesus is worth it. No matter how hard, how terrible, how much suffering that it is, Jesus is always worth it. Whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, whatever loss you face as you follow Christ, he is and will be worth it. That's like hard to hear, but encouraging to hear, right? This, this, this acknowledgement that following Jesus is difficult, but at the same time, he's worth it. So to the 70-year-old who your family doesn't want really anything to do with you, your kids, your grandkids don't want to come spend time with you because they don't really like your faith. They think, they're, they think your faith in Jesus is kind of annoying. Jesus is worth it. To the 50-year-old the who can't ever seem to catch a break at work, is never considered for that promotion because you won't cut quarter, corners. You're gonna stand for biblical principles. You're gonna do what's right even when no one else is doing it. Jesus is worth it. To the 30-year-old who would love to have a spouse but can't find someone who wants to follow Jesus like you do, so you're still holding off and recognizing that being single is also a gift from God. You don't have to find someone to find satisfaction. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. To the college student who is mocked and left out of things because you won't party. Maybe your professor makes fun of you openly in class because you believe in Jesus. Jesus, Paul would tell you, is worth it. To the 13-year-old who has no hope of being in the popular crowd because you find your significance in Jesus, not in just doing things to try to be popular. Jesus is worth it. Whatever you're facing, whatever hardship that following Jesus brings you, he's worth it. Cling to him. I think for some of us, it'd be easy to, to look at this and think about this and think about eternal life and say like, or just kind of in our gut question and wonder, like, okay, so he's worth it. Ultimately, we get heaven, that's good. But like, does he, does he affect anything right now? Does Jesus impact my life today? Like, in my, in my current situation, is it just the hope for the future, or does he make it better today? Keep, keep reading in verse two. 
He says to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Right here's our second point. I want to use the words of the late John Stott to state this, but it's this. God gives you grace for your worthlessness, mercy for your helplessness, and peace for your restlessness. I love these words, grace, mercy, and peace, because it tells us so much about our condition, that the things that we need, and it tells us so much about how great God is, that the things that we need, Lord knows we need grace, mercy, and peace, and those are the things he delights in giving to his children. Think about that. Grace for your worthlessness. Like just as a reminder, that that's, the, that's the idea of grace. That's the concept of grace is that you don't deserve it, that you're not worthy. That yes, God loves you just as you are, but that's not the same as being worthy. It's not, well, I deserve his love. No, you don't deserve it. It's grace because you don't deserve it. So even in your worthlessness, even in your sin struggles, even in the vileness of your heart, and that we deserve today death, hell, and damnation in eternity apart from God, God gives us grace. And even in the moment right now when we would be prone to walk in shame and condemnation because of our sin and because of our struggles and the things that we keep circling back to, there's grace in your worthlessness. Mercy in your helplessness. Like all of us, as strong as we may think we are, as smart as we think we may think we are, we're all pretty helpless when it comes down to it. Like the, the amount that you can control in your life is very small, very small. Your ability to change yourself and become who God wants you to be is pretty weak and infantile. And yet there is mercy in your helplessness in your struggle to, to, to think the way that you should think and talk the way that you should talk and, and to live the way that you should live in your weakness, in your helplessness, God gives mercy. He wants to help you. And peace in your restlessness. Man, I, how, how restless are we? How many of us struggle to go anywhere or do anything and put our phones down? Like, not to go on a rabbit trail real quick, but like, isn't it? kind of discouraging and also frightening when you're driving around the amount of people that are got one hand on the wheel and one, one with the phone like this. Like, like they're just restless. They have, we have to distract ourselves because we're always trying to find peace, always trying to find some, some salve, some balm for that wound in our lives, always trying to distract ourselves so we can maybe feel a little bit better. And all of those things that the world offers, they're never going to give peace. God is the only one who can actually give you true and lasting and satisfying peace for your restlessness. Was it St. Augustine said? Our hearts are restless. They're running everywhere until they rest in him. They're, they're gonna run all over the place until they find rest in the hope of Jesus Christ. Until we sit at his feet. You know, I think there, there's like this image of a fire represents God and he is emanating grace and mercy 
and peace. And if we'll just slow down enough to focus our attention to come and spend time with him, man, his desire, his delight is to warm our hearts with those things, to warm our hearts with grace, mercy, and peace if we'll just come and sit at his feet. And, and I love this too. Think about that question I asked as I was transitioning to, to the second point of how does God change things today? This is grace, mercy, and peace for right now. This is not, maybe one day I'll have some grace and mercy and peace in my life. Or I remember when I first, when I first got saved, I had some grace, mercy, and peace in my life. No, this is right now, ever present, in the moment, here for you. God saying, you need some grace? Here it is. You need some mercy? Here it is. You need some peace? I've got what you need. God gives you grace for your worthlessness, mercy for your helplessness, and peace for your restlessness. And all of us could use a good dose of that reminder, amen? All of us need that. I think one of the reasons he was saying that in this letter is even, even Timothy needed to be reminded of that. Like Even Timothy needed to be reminded of, okay, yes, God gives me grace and mercy and peace in this moment, in this hardship, in this difficulty. It brings us to the third point, it's this. Everyone, everyone needs encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement in their walk with the Lord, in their faith in Christ. Verse three says, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. I think that's just one little uh, brief glimpse into the heart of the whole letter that Paul is wanting to encourage Timothy. And even here he's saying, Man, I, I, I remember your tears. I long to see you so I may be filled with joy. And he's saying, remember the faith that your, your mother and your grandmother helped instill in you. Man, I am confident that is in you. Paul's in, he's, excuse me, he's encouraging Timothy. Everyone needs encouragement. Think about that. Think about the kind of man that Timothy was. This is was, this was someone who Paul entrusted to lead the church to Ephesus. This is someone who Paul has poured his life into. This is the protege. This is like the next up and coming follower of Paul. And he needs encouragement. I think the flip side of that, Paul wanted Timothy to come see him because Paul needed encouragement. Everyone needs encouragement in their walk with Christ. Absolutely everyone. I want us to think about that two ways. So first, point that statement at your own heart. You need encouragement in your walk with the Lord. Listen, it is a lie from the enemy to try to alienate you, to tell you that you are a weak, pathetic, weirdo Christian if you need encouragement in your life. No, all of us need that. You're not, you're not pathetic or obviously doing something wrong if you just sometimes need encouragement in your walk with Christ. That's normal. So when I would say, don't hesitate to ask for encouragement. And two, I would say when people try to encourage you, don't give them some false humility nonsense to brush it off. Does that make sense? Like, like when, you, when you do something or pursue, pursuing the Lord and someone comes and says, man, like you did a great job with that or I really appreciated that. 
yes, God gets the glory, but don't be like, well, you know, all credit to him. I don't need, like, just, just let them encourage you. Does that make sense? Everyone needs encouragement. Now, okay, so we, we pointed that truth arrow at our heart. Now flip it around. Everyone needs encouragement. Everyone. You know, often encouragement tends to flow downstream. What I mean by that is, I don't mean to lesser people, but often the people that are influencing and encouraging and impacting us, we figure they're doing great. So we kind of send our encouragement downstream to the people that we're influencing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I could use so many examples in this room, but just as an example, I'd be like, how Lauren, I need encouragement. There's a family in here that we're, we're good friends with. And um, the wife, every now and then, will send Lauren and I a text and just say something like, hey, I'm grateful for y'all. Y'all mean a lot to me. How can I pray for you? Man, that always pumps me up, like encourages me. One time we, we were uh, counseling with their uh, daughter and future son-in-law at the time. And uh, we had talked a long time at the house. Uh, we were like 30 minutes past time when we were supposed to get our kids. <laughs> they were being babysat somewhere else. And as we were getting up to leave, uh, the son-in-law said, man, like I, it was just fun hanging out with you guys. Like, thanks for investing in us. That, mean, that means a lot. Like, it was a good time. Even just that little bit of, hey, thank you. We appreciate you. And that can be encouraging to somebody. I want to ask you for a second, you specifically, who in your life, in a quote, upstream, has invested in you that you could encourage today? Paul pointed out to Timothy, Lois, and Eunice, his mother and grandmother, who could you right now, like, I don't always do this, who could you right now, right this minute, take out your phone and text and say, hey, thank you for being a godly influence in my life. I would encourage you to do that right now. Like, that'd be awesome. Like text your mom, text your dad, text an old Sunday school teacher, text your old volleyball coach. I don't know. I don't want to say old. They're not old, but you know what I mean? Like who could you encourage upstream and downstream, so to speak, in their walk with Christ? Everyone needs encouragement. I know you're texting, but I'm still going to keep preaching. <laughs> Speaking of encouragement, I think there's a, an awesome little nugget. Probably shouldn't use the word nugget in preaching, but we just did. So a little nugget of encouragement in verse three, when he says, I thank God, who must serve with a clear conscience. He goes on to say, I'm thanking God. Timothy, I'm thanking God for you. Why, why does Paul thank God? Uh, he mentions that, Timothy's grandmother and mother had a profound influence on him. And obviously Paul has invested in Timothy and helping him become the man that he is. But why does Paul thank God? It's because of this, it's our fourth point. God is the one who grows you. God is the one who grows you. He's the one who makes you into the person that he wants you to be. He's the one who sanctifies you. So that's the process of you becoming holy, of you becoming more like Christ. He's the one who's going to finish what he started in you. God is the one who grows you. He's gonna equip us to what he calls us to and he'll gift us for where we're going. God is the one who grows you. So I think there's two thoughts, like um, think, results of that fact, of that truth. One, there should be a humility that God's not done with you. Like, it's not like, well, did that, read the Bible in 2022? Looks like I've arrived, and now I'm just gonna sit back for the year, right? Like, 
No, because God is growing you, you're never done. So that's a little bit of a challenge. But the flip side of that, the encouraging thing is, is that you're never doomed. Because Christ is the one who's growing you, you're never doomed in your walk with Christ. If you know Jesus Christ and he's changing you and transforming you, if you know him, he is doing that. It's you're never too far gone. You're never doomed. It's never like, well, I've sinned too far. Now I've messed up too much. Or man, I just can't get my thoughts straight. So now I'm gonna be in trouble. No, because God is the one who's growing you. And as Paul says in Philippians, that he'll finish what he started. You're never doomed. Man, take heart in that. Take hope in that, that God is growing you, that he's working you. There's always hope because of him and his profound work work in you. So because of that, because God is at work in you as a believer, look what he says in verse six, therefore, we're almost to our fifth point. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and sound judgment. Here's our fifth point. It's this. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of fear. If you're walking in a spirit and attitude, this, this shadow, this cloud of fear, that is not from the Lord. The idea of fear, it's, it's timid. It's refusal to face a challenge. The Greek extra biblical literature, so meaning like books that were written in this time that are not the Bible, uh, that use this word also, that's also here in the Bible, they would use this word to the idea of, of you, someone that flees battle. So this person, they're, they're afraid, and so they run from battle. They run from the challenge. Why would Paul need to tell Timothy and the Holy Spirit tell us that God has not given us a spirit of fear is because most often that's the spirit, that's the attitude that we walk in as believers. So often we drift towards, we slip into, we fall into this attitude of fear and worry and doubt and not rising up to the challenge. Saying God has not given you that. He's not given you a spirit of fear. And we particularly most often go into those situations or go into that mindset and into that heart, uh, frame of heart when things are difficult or they're not what we expected. Think, think about this with, with Paul and Timothy. I mean, Timothy's had so much hope about the gospel spreading and so much excitement. And now Paul, who has invested so much in him, is in prison. And they both know is fixing to die. I can't you just imagine Timothy as he's reading this letter and, and, and wondering, knowing Probably this is Paul's last letter. I mean, it is, but Timothy's wondering that and wondering, man, maybe, maybe I shouldn't keep leading this church. Maybe I shouldn't keep investing in other people for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe I shouldn't keep talking about Jesus. And Paul's telling, telling him, no, listen, it's dangerous, it's difficult, it's not what you expected, but God has not given you a spirit of fear. Rather, he says, he's put in you one of power love and sound judgment. So he's not giving us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit expresses himself as he lives in us and works in and out through us. He expresses himself in power and love and sound judgment. 
power, the ability, the strength, the might to do that which we are intended to do, to do that which our creator has given us to do, the power to do it. Love, a selfless love that is others focused and not self-absorbed. And sound judgment, it's sound self-control. It's the ability to have good judgment, to know what's right and have the discipline to do what is right. The Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, resides in you and empowers you, gives you the ability to walk in power and love and sound judgment. So he says, hey, because of that, rekindle the gift of God that is in you. We're not confident we could debate for a long time. It really wouldn't help anything, but we could debate what exactly the gift was that Timothy had. The point is, if you are in Christ, you have a gift that's been given to you by God for you to use for the sake of his kingdom. You know, there's spiritual gifts. There's spiritual gifts. There's also just like God just gives some people talents and gifts that are what you might call physical. Whatever those giftings are, you are called to use it for the king, to lay it all on the line for the king. Even in the face of danger, even in the face of death, in the face of difficulty, we move forward. We press on using our gifts, using our, our, leaning into our calling because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and sound judgment. So we walk forward boldly into who Christ calls us to be in the way he has gifted us. So I want to ask you, how has God gifted you? And are you leaning into that? Or are you shying it away from it? Oh, it makes me uncomfortable. Right. That's why he's given you a spirit of power and love and sound judgment to press through that fear, to lean in. No matter what comes your way, we're to walk in power and love and sound judgment. A lifetime of following Jesus involves risk, tension, and suffering. This is not a sign of Jesus' absence. No, in dark and difficult times, Jesus' love and faithfulness become all the more tangible. Uh, listen, Paul wasn't just being a hype man for Timothy. Like, come on, like I, I kind of, if you know me outside of the platform, maybe on the platform too, I kind of like to joke and be a hype man and get everybody excited. Like it's kind of my, uh, that's why I like hanging out with the middle school and high schoolers to get them all hyped up, right? Paul wasn't just doing that for Timothy. Like, come on, Paul, no. Paul knew this to be true. If you look, we'll, look, we'll get to it later. We have several months to do this. But later in the book, I think it's in chapter four, Paul talks about how even when everyone deserted him, everyone abandoned him, that Jesus stood by his side and did two things. He comforted him and he strengthened him to live out his faith and his gifting and his calling. So Paul's not just hyping Timothy. I'd be saying, no, I know this to be true. God has for sure, undoubtedly given us a spirit of power and love, sound judgment, not a spirit of fear. So let's walk forward. It's not hype. It's actually real. Friend, be encouraged. Jesus is worth it. Be encouraged because God gives you grace for your worthlessness mercy for your helplessness and peace for your restlessness. Friend, be alone. You're not, or be encouraged. You're not alone. Everyone needs encouragement. And God is the one who grows you. He's going to keep growing you. So walk in hope because he's not giving you a spirit of fear. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. 
to learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.